baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again and welcome back to From the Diamond. I'm Grant McCauley, and if it feels like we were just here having our Braves and baseball chat, well, that's because we were just a few days ago. This is our second episode of the week, but this one is going to be a fun one as we're going to take a deep dive into the Braves rotation. And Paul Bird of Fox Sports South is going to join me to size up the starting five as Atlanta heads down the stretch with an eye on October. Of course, the Braves just wrapped up a very good homestand at SunTrust Park going 7-2. and two. They took series from the Mets and the Dodgers and swept the Marlins, and now they'll head out on the road looking to get themselves through the month of August, back home, and into the month of September as the postseason grows closer by the day. Before we get started on this episode, I want to invite you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Ratings and reviews always appreciated, and be sure to follow along on social media. On Twitter, you can find the show at FromTheDiamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. And on Instagram, at FromTheDiamond, no underscore there. And I am at Grant McCauley there as well. One more reminder for you heading into the weekend, I am doing that Braves Alumni Weekend giveaway. That'll be happening on Saturday. I'll pick a winner from my Instagram followers. So all you have to do to enter is go on over to Instagram and follow me at Grant McCauley. Also, you can follow the show, again, at From the Diamond there. And you can find everything from every episode of the show to all the articles and other things going on at FromTheDiamond.com. With that out of the way, let's take a look at the week that was in Braves news. And since this is our second episode of the week, not as much to update on the field. Braves closed out their homestand 7-2. and two. They beat the Mets and the Dodgers 2-3 out of three, and then broke out the brooms to sweep away the Marlins. If anything, Atlanta's going to be sorry not to see Miami again this season. The Braves went 15-4 and four against the Marlins head-to-head. Miami, though, won't be sorry. Did not have to deal with Ronald Acuna Jr. anymore this season. He delivered the game-winning hit for the walk-off on Thursday night, and Ronald finished the year batting 320 with nine homers and 18 runs knocked in in his 18 games against the Marlins in 2019. He has worn them out since exploding onto the scene last year. Also of note in that series, the great play of Adani Echeverria continued. Not only is he fitting in well defensively speaking at shortstop, but he has reached base in all six games since joining the Braves. He clocked a big home run a couple of nights ago and has scored some big runs for Atlanta as well, including the game-winning run on Thursday night against his old club, no less. Meanwhile, the Braves pitching staff was extremely strong in the series against Miami, allowing just three runs across 27 innings. So I figured it'd be a good time to delve into the pitching, not so much on the bullpen, which we've discussed quite a bit, But let's focus on the Atlanta rotation as we head down the stretch with October right around the corner. To help me do that, I had to find a starting pitcher of my own, and that's Paul Bird of Fox Sports South, a longtime big league starter, former Brave, and of course a key member of the Fox Sports South crew that covers the Braves each and every night. He's going to provide his insight on Atlanta's starting five. Make sure you follow Paul on Twitter, at PaulBird36. 
and keep up with all the things the Braves crew over at Fox Sports South is doing at Fox Sports Braves on Twitter is where you can find them. I want to welcome Paul Bird into the show so we can talk about this Atlanta Braves rotation for what we hope is going to be a deep run through October. You know you're going to need these guys to step up, and we've seen a lot of, I think, intriguing things from the Braves rotation and a lot of things that should have you excited about not just 2019, but also the future of where this starting five could go. And in particular, I think really he needs no introduction. Mike Soroka, Paul, has really come on this year and shown that not only is he capable of going every fifth day from a health perspective, but there's an awful lot to be excited about when it comes to the ceiling that this young man has. And I think he's just a pitcher that at 21 years old, he just gets it. No, absolutely. And, Dan, I got to tell you, I hate making comparisons to other people because I don't think it's fair to the other person or Soroka. But when people ask, who do you see? You know, I see a Maddox who is further along at that age. That's as good a comparison as I can come up with. Uh, His stuff is a little bit better than Maddox even in his prime as far as the sinker. Command is going to get better, but he is somebody special. I'm so happy he's in a Braves uniform and we get to watch him throw the ball for a long, long time. When we talk about Mike Soroka, I think the thing that jumps out, and you just uh, alluded to it as well, is the arsenal he has. And I think chief among the weapons he uses to neutralize other lineups has been that sinker. They just don't barrel the ball up against him very often, and the ground ball rate has been terrific this season as well. What have you noticed from Mike Soroka when it comes to that pitch and really the way that he sets up hitters and always seems to be working, it feels like a step ahead, especially for a young pitcher. I know that that's something that's really jumped out to me is just the the level in which he competes, not just from his stuff perspective, but also from what he's throwing up there in terms of that arsenal. What makes that sinker so effective for Mike Soroka? Yeah, it's just you don't see anybody else just consistently manages his sinker middle to down in the zone that has 93, 94, 95 miles an hour. The bottom falls out of it straight down. It's not a runner that goes side to side. It goes down. It has depth. So it's like walking into a batting cage and trying to hit a shot put. It just falls straight down. It's heavy. It's hard to get up in the air. And if he throws it right, as a hitter, there's really nothing you can do with it. The times that he has struggled this year, which have been few, is when the hitters have gone up to the plate and they're like, I'm swinging early. Like, I I ain't waiting for strike two or strike three. They swing early, and the sinker doesn't have that depth yet, whether it be early in the game or what have you. Or it's just a flat one, and that's when he's gotten in trouble. Or when guys have hit players, jam shots that haven't got to the fielders. That's another way he and both Keiko can get in trouble because the sinker is so good it never gets to a fielder. But what I like so much about Mike is that's not his only pitch. He's got a four-seamer 95 that he can throw up and in to keep you honest so that you don't dive out to try and barrel that sinker. And then he's got a slider. He's got a curveball that's very, very good. And he works all of those pitches, and I even left out his changeup, to all of the quadrants. Throws them in, throws them out, throws them away, up and down. So he can give you, when you walk up to the plate, he can give you eight different looks. It's like he can have eight, nine, ten different game plans against the hitter. And so when you're a hitter and you're like, what am I going to see? You have no idea. So that's the kind of arsenal that he brings. And then the maturity, which is probably more important than the arsenal, the ability to relax and pressure situations, not overthrow and hit your spots and apply all of those different pitches that you have is off the charts. 
Now, I may or may not have told you this story before, but I had a chance to meet a 19-year-old Mike Soroka coming off a great season in Rome. And this is right before he and Colby Allard skipped high A altogether, went to double A. But Soroka said a lot of the things that you said about pitching in all the different quadrants, using all his different pitches, and essentially the way he explained the usage of his pitches made it feel like he had, as you said, eight or nine different looks. And that can't be easy for a hitter to deal with. But the most impressive part of that to me was the fact that this is a 19-year-old kid who, and I know you brought out Greg Maddox and said you hate to throw a comparison on somebody, but this is about as smart a player as I have heard talking about pitching at that young of an age. So it seems like, uh, really, if you look at Mike Soroka, the mentality, he kind of has an old soul when it comes to baseball and a very advanced look at how exactly he wants to do his business on the mound. No, he did. You're not supposed to say stuff like that until you're in your late 20s in case your listeners haven't heard the story, I know you have, Grant. Um, his mom died when he was 12, and so his dad took him to a Chris Reitzma baseball camp up in Calgary, Canada. He threw five pitches. Reitzma asked him to step off the mound, and he said, son, do you like baseball? He said, my dad wants me to play hockey, but I love baseball. He goes, let me see your dad. He goes, I want to talk to him. He goes, I want you to know something. He goes, you can pitch in the big leagues. This is at 12 years old. Wow. Yeah, so he had a really big advantage in that his dad did him a, a great service and that his dad didn't know that much about baseball. So when he showed him how to grip a baseball, he showed him a two-seamer and said, this is how you hold the baseball. So that's what Mike is really comfortable holding. That's a big deal. So kudos to his dad. And then taking him to the camp because Chris Meetsma ended up being his pitching coach and was able to get him on the Canadian national team at 16 years old pitching against great hitters. So now he's 16, learning how to get, you know, for a lack of better terms, guys in AAA or the big leagues out. And he's getting beat up a little bit, but he's learning. So now you have a guy in the big league, 20, 21 years old, who has a ton of experience, is learning to throw to all the quadrants and has been for the past four or five years. So a lot of things have gone right for him. Uh, let's not forget uh, his central nervous system is layered in gold. Right. And I say that a lot because you can know baseball and know what to do but not be able to do it. It's not simply a knowledge thing. You have to be able to execute what you know, and that comes in uh, by being gifts that you can't control in your body. You can work on things, but you can only go so far, and he is able to apply everything that he has learned, and he has been an incredible pitcher at such a young age. Grant, if he stays healthy look out yeah i think that's what everybody wants to see a healthy mike soroka at the front of a braze rotation for a long time i think would set you up for a lot of years of contention and a great starting five if you've got a guy like that going every fifth day now mike soroka was not in the rotation to start the year nor was max freed for that matter he started in the bullpen soroka of course was on his way back from dealing with a recurrent injury issue that he was dealing with with the shoulder but thankfully nothing structural able to get himself back but just maybe had to slow down and pace himself a little bit differently, did Soroka. But for Max Freed, the injury thing is old hat. He had to deal with a lot of that Tommy John surgery. He missed nearly two years in the minor leagues. He got traded from the Padres to the Braves. So the California kid had to come out down to the southeast and kind of reestablish his entire career and clear a lot of hurdles, if you will. And Max Freed has been able yeah. to do that. And I think one of the big parts about it was not just the ability and the talents that he has and the pitches that he possesses, like that plus curveball, but the fact that he may not have had a spot in the starting rotation, but he really took advantage of the opportunity to just make the big league squad 
as a reliever and have that opportunity open up for him to jump into the rotation. I think that says a lot about the competitor that Max Fried is and his realization of taking the opportunity in any form that you can and seeing where it leads you. Yeah, you know, when you look at his numbers coming into this year, they were very good. He's been a very good big league starter. But at times, uh, he's gotten hit a little bit, and it was because he didn't have another pitch other than that big curveball as that weapon. He had a good fastball, but everybody has those when you get to the big leagues. What he's added has been a slider. He's also added a little cutter. Slider looks like a fastball, so that curveball that you talked about above, you know, uh, 2,900, that's good enough for top 5% in the big leagues. It's devastating. He comes in. His hero, Sandy Kopak, it's got the 12-6 hammer action straight down. So hitters would either look for that and wait for him to hang it, or they would say, oh, this pitch is too good. I'm just going to sit fastball, and if he gets out into the curveball, fine. And when they do that, they just sit fastball at the big league level. You have to hit your spots. You can't make any mistakes, and that's hard to do as a pitcher. So what he's added is something that looks just like a fastball. It's a cutter. It's the slider. And at the last second, it bears right really hard, and it jams him. That's been the biggest difference for him this year is that he's moved, you know, around in the zone, pitched more in, thrown that cutter. So now people can't just sit one pitch off him. He's gotten much, much better. As you said, I love to watch him compete. Uh, even at the plate, even as a base runner, like he always wants to compete. Yeah, he He's loves one it. of my favorites. Yeah, very humble kid too. Great interview after the game. He'll act like you know wasn't any big deal, but uh, he he's just a great pitcher and a lot of fun. And you know he hasn't listened to the critics this year either. The people that have told him that he couldn't do something, and uh, he's a blast to watch. Yeah, he really is. And it's funny looking at Mike Soroka and Max Fried having been in that same rotation with each other on the way through the minor leagues. But, you know, Fried's four years older than Soroka. Those injuries really yeah. Yeah, cost Max a good chunk of time. So they've had different roads, but uh, their roads have led to Atlanta. And the Braves are very happy that it did. Soroka, of course, drafted Max Fried in a trade with the Padres to come over and join the Braves and ultimately end up in Atlanta's rotation. Now, Freed's had, I think, more ups and downs than Mike Soroka has this year, but you mentioned adjustments for him and really, I guess, diversifying the kind of breaking balls that he's throwing has really helped him take it to the next level, and it doesn't seem like he's afraid to throw any pitch in any count, which, of course, is also important and something great to see from a, a younger, more inexperienced major league pitcher. When you get to the big leagues, and you know, I'm not trying to be a know-it-all here, but when I first got there, you're just trying to breathe. You know, you're just trying to throw a strike and right. breathe. Your parents are in the stands. You know, you don't even know if you belong. You're looking at, you know, there's so many people you've never seen that before in your life, and you're just trying to survive. And then you say, "Am I good enough?" Uh, and then you say, "Not only am I good enough, these are stages that you go through. How good am I? Okay, I can stay here. I can get guys out. Am I a reliever? Am I a starter? Am I a fifth starter? Am I number one or two? And these things are, you know, they take time to figure out, not just with organizations, but in your own head. And the sky is the limit for both of those guys. They're both number one. Soroka is now. I think Freed will be. Um, And that just comes with consistency, his stuff, believing in yourself. I love following you on Twitter, but when you're on Twitter, you're going to get critics. And that's okay. And Max Fried has stepped away from social media. He stepped away from other people who are not on social media who have maybe mm-hmm. questioned him 
And you just said, look, I'm not going to listen to people that say I can't. I'm good enough. Yep. I can do it. And when he executes all of his pitches, he's more than good enough. He's dominating no-hitter type stuff. As I said earlier, his hero, Sandy Koufax, we see a little bit of that with the high heat, the curve, the things that he can do. And when he is on, he's as good as anybody. And he and both Soroka have the type of stuff that, you you know, in the future you can see. I uh, wouldn't be surprised at all if we see some multiple no-hitters. Yeah, so the present and perhaps the future of the Braves' rotation with Mike Soroka and Max Fried, you feel really good about where things are heading. But about midseason, the Braves decided to add themselves a Cy Young Award winner, and that would be Dallas Keuchel, who signed with the Braves back in June. And Keuchel didn't take too terribly long to get himself to the major leagues. I think he's had a couple of clunkers that you could probably throw out, but everybody has those throughout the course of a season. What is it that Dallas Keuchel is able to do with what's essentially high 80s stuff, but he has great movement, it would appear, and the sequencing, he has to know that that's going to be something that's going to help him get big league hitters out. But what makes Dallas Keuchel so good in an age where throwing 95-plus seems to be a prerequisite for being an effective pitcher in the big leagues? Yeah, he is is the best at expanding the plate. He's like a surgeon. Fastball average is 89 miles an hour. So if he's, you know, right, he steps in the box and he's going to throw away, he can throw a sinker to the outside part of the plate that looks like a strike that moves off the plate. And he can throw a cutter that looks like it's a ball off the plate that comes back over the plate. Mm-hmm. So he's going to slice up that that side of the plate, and the hitter's like, okay, I don't know if it's a cutter or sinker, so I've got to respect that and be ready to swing, and you'll get dives and chases. But I'm just talking about one location and two pitches. He's also got a changeup. Yep. He's got the curve, and he'll work the other side of the plate too. So once you even start looking away, he'll come back in. And when you can throw that many pitches with that kind of precision, you can pitch anywhere. And he, like Soroka, will get ground balls that never make it to the infielders. And uh, that can be when he gets in trouble, when he gets missed hit. Also, if he doesn't have that sinker one day and he's a one-pitch guy or what have you and he struggles and it's elevated a little bit, that's when you've had you've seen maybe two disaster outings. But overall, this is a guy that if I were the Braves, I would lock him up. You can pitch like Jamie Moyer did into your mid-40s with his game plan and what he brings to the table. He also works very hard. He's good in the locker room. He's a big game pitcher. He's you know not going to hyperventilate in the playoffs. He is everything that this team needed. I have to credit Alec Anthopoulos for taking the chance and selecting him at the right time after the Major League Baseball draft mm-hmm. so that they didn't lose anybody by signing him. It was brilliant. A lot of things that led Dallas Keuchel to Atlanta. I know he was out there in the winter looking for that long-term deal, and perhaps he'll find it this time around as he ventures into free agency, and maybe a long-term arrangement with the Braves is something that both sides will be into. But while he's here, talk about a little bit of, of the effect and the influence that he could have on a fellow ground ball pitcher like Mike Soroka and, and really the influence he could have on any of the Braves' young pitchers because, as you mentioned, you know this is something that Dallas Keuchel brings that maybe not quantifiable on the mound, but certainly something the club had to be thinking would be an added bonus to bringing a guy like that in to be around some of these young arms. Absolutely. Talk is cheap many places, especially a major league locker room. If you want to be a leader, you need to do a lot more than just talk. 
And Dallas Keuchel backs it up. He works out very hard. He works hard. He cares. He's a great preparer. He studies. And then he goes out and he does it. He executes it. He shows you that, hey, guys, you don't have to throw 95 to get guys out. You have to pitch. I'm not just going to talk about that. I'm going to show you that. Right. And he does. And he doesn't walk, guys. And he attacks. It doesn't matter who's at the plate. He has a game plan. You're seeing a professional who's mature, who's won a Cy Young, a World Series, go about his business in the right way, making a lot of money. And when I say that, no, he doesn't have the big contract, but he's a guy that if you give him a multi-year deal, you don't have to worry about him changing. You know, he's already made a lot of money. He's made more this year. And what I'm saying is he plays the game with a lot of character, high work ethic. That is the kind of leader that rubs off on everybody else in that clubhouse. I think it's made a lot of people better. Yeah, I think it definitely can, and that's something that when you talk about the X factors that he brings to the table, but also just the flat-out factor that he can be in the rotation, especially as you put it together for the playoffs, the Braves were missing a pitcher like Dallas Keuchel that had not only the experience but also the pedigree of having been on a World Series winner, having a Cy Young Award in his trophy chest probably doesn't hurt either. There's just a lot of things that Dallas Keuchel brought to this Braves rotation when you think about the Mike Sorokas and Max Freeds who are on their way up an established veteran like Dallas Keuchel. But another veteran who's made some big contributions to the Braves rotation this year is Julio Tehran. Now, Paul, you and I have watched Julio for a number of years now. We've seen the ups and we've seen the downs. And it seems like lately there have been a lot more downs for Julio than there had been ups since his all-star campaign back in 2016. But this year he has been effective in what he's been able to do. He's not going to go out there and throw eight or nine innings every start. Sometimes five or six is just kind of what Julio is going to give you, but it's been a very good five or six innings, sometimes seven throughout the year as well. But what has Julio back to being effective this year that maybe was missing over the last couple of seasons? You know, I think it's what, this is my opinion, Josh Donaldson has changed this team. He comes in with swagger. Mm-hmm. He, like Keichel, has been there before, a former MVP. And Charlie Culberson is the only locker in between uh, Julio, and so he walks over. He walks over and he says, hey, Julio, I want to tell you something. And this is an MVP, Josh Donaldson. you got to use your fastball more. And he goes, I've faced you, man. Your fastball's way better than you think. You pitch scared sometimes. Once you go at him with your fastball. Really? Yeah, and so Julio, you know, and that's something that not that many people can say. So, when Josh Donaldson says that, and he's that kind of a hitter, and that's what I love about Josh is he'll tell the truth. You may not like it, but he will tell you the truth. And when he says that to Julio, Julio took that to heart and just started attacking with his fastball. His fastball percentage went up after that conversation, but he started believing in it and establishing it in the strike zone and pitching like, even though he doesn't throw 98, pitching like, my fastball is that good. Josh Donaldson told me. And so he has started to come along and be that, you know, ace years ago that was that all-star pitcher. So you've got, you know, we've talked about, you know, three guys who are very, very good. And you add Julio to that mix. If he continues to pitch, which I expect him to, the way that he has lately, man, look out. This team's going to be very, very dangerous if they get to the postseason. You know, as baseball players, a little superstitious until it's mathematically over. I always like to use the word if, but this team is is so good. 
No, they definitely are. And the Braves are sitting on right now a division lead of six games heading into uh, the finale against the Marlins. And, of course, into the weekend where they'll hit the road and uh, travel to three different cities before coming back home to wrap up August. And then we'll find out exactly maybe when this division can be clinched as the Braves spend about two weeks playing the Nationals in Philly. So that should be some must-see TV or must-listen to radio, as the case may be, for the Braves as they head into September. But uh, looking back on Julio this year and something that I've noticed that is a pitch he really believes in, and that's that slider, it would appear that Julio has been able to utilize that pitch to expand the plate, as you mentioned that Dallas Keuchel does as well. Julio's not a guy that leads a lot of pitches, you know, center cut, if you will, and out over the plate. He's not pitching over the heart of it. He seems to be pitching horizontally, if you will, in the strike zone. What for Julio has been the key to him this year that uh, maybe wasn't working as well last year? Is it just the fastball, or has his slider really been a pitch that he's been able to go to with maybe a little bit more conviction than he has in recent years? Yeah, I think he's commanded the ball better. I think his sliders in years previous, they would spin at times, and he would be victim to the long ball, the home run. I have not seen that as much this year, and the balls are different. So, and then the pitchers talk about it, you know, to get the ball to break, you have to really grip it. So it doesn't make sense that Julio's slider would be better this year with a ball that it's harder to throw a better slider with. But it's a credit to him. He's worked on that. He's gripped it tighter. He's really committed to that this offseason. I go back to commanding the fastball. Once you command the fastball, you're ahead in the count. When you're throwing a slider that's 0-2, 1-2 in the count, it's a much different pitch than you throwing a slider when it's 2-1 or 3-1 or what have you. So he's thrown that with more conviction. He's going to have more chase rate because he's ahead in the count. You know the percentages of being ahead in the count versus being behind in the count. You take great hitters, you make them average. You take average hitters and you make them poor just by getting ahead in the count. So the fact that he's commanded that fastball, gotten on that slider more, been ahead in the count, it's all working in his favor. And let me ask you this, because I think coming into the season, a lot of folks, and we got plenty of armchair GMs out there, including some of us who work inside the industry, you kind of wondered if this was going to be Julio's swan song in Atlanta. He's got an option for next year at just over $12 million, I believe, and the Braves could buy that out for $1 million. If you'd ask me even at the end of April, did I see Julio Tehran being a factor in the Braves' rotation next year? I would have said that's highly unlikely, but he went on about an 18-start tear and got right back to work against the Marlins last time out as well, where this has been a Julio over right about 20 starts now with a sub-3 ERA. I would imagine that with pitching being what it is and the uncertainty, if you will, at times with trying to turn prospects into proven entities at the big leagues, that Julio Tehran may have earned that option for next year, and I would not be surprised now to see him back in a Braves uniform. Where do you weigh in on that? No, I agree 100%, you know, and, you know, today's age, I mean, he'd be a bargain, depending on how you look at it. You know, you can see what you're paying Keiko, which is around there for just the last, I don't know if it's uh, 60% of the year. Yeah, yeah, whatever it is. And then Julio is comfortable here, you know. He likes it here. He wants to be here. This is a great team for him to be a part of. And with him making the, you know, adjustments that he has and showing the Julio of old, I would absolutely expect the Braves to pick up that option. Now, I saved the uh, best for last in terms of looking at the 2018 Braves rotation, and that would be Mike fulton -Evich. He had a breakout season. He was yeah. an all-star. He was supposed to be the opening day starter, but that went to Julio Tehran when Fulte's elbow started acting up back in the spring. 
But really for Mike, it's been a challenging season. I think professionally speaking, probably personally speaking, because it's hard not to let the two carry over and vice versa. But uh, Fulte back from AAA Gwinnett has been able to, I think, show a lot more on the mound of what we saw a season ago. What do you think went wrong this season for Mike when it came to getting over the elbow injury and getting himself back out there and just getting back to being the guy who was so successful a season ago? Yeah, so I've had a bone spur, you know, a bone spur is a little growth on the end of the bone that, you know, will break off at some point, become a bone chip, and that happens to kind of stabilize the elbow, and that's just normal when all pitchers have them, but if it's asymptomatic, meaning it hurts, then you have to be careful with it, and it doesn't feel good. So I think for Mike, there was a transition of, is it going to hurt? You know, even when it felt good, there's just speaking from experience with me, I don't want to tell you what's going through Mike's head. This is what I suspect. You're afraid to really get on pitches because mm-hmm. in the back of your mind, you know, how much is too much to where it's going to start hurting again. And so I think you had to go through that process a little bit. And I think, uh, you know, it turned out to where he struggled with control, struggled with walks, going at hitters, and we didn't see the bolt that we saw last year. I think him going down to AAA was one of the best things that happened to him. Since he's come back, he's been different. You know, he's attacked, and um, it's been good to see. And he's a wild card for me in all of this because, as you said, all-star last year, 275, I believe, ERA, pulling from memory, very, very good year incredible stuff if he reverts to the faulty of old you'll have some incredible options come postseason again if the Braves get there because you only need three you can use four in the postseason but you really only need three starters and whoever isn't a starter can go down to that pen and the pen's throwing great right now but they can give a little bit of a boost to that pen by having a dynamite long man or somebody like Fulte with great stuff would come into a game and could be electric at any point for a short span. Yeah, that's definitely something that could be on the table as we get ahead. And I do want to talk a little bit about that as we uh, wrap up here in just a moment. But a couple more questions about Mike in particular and what's gone right and what he was down in Gwinnett looking for. I think the number one thing he was trying to find was a consistent slider because the slider was a pitch that had really just kind of abandoned him you can't abandon that pitch as the guy out on the mound who's trying to diversify and keep hitters off balance. The slider was his out pitch a season ago, but it just was not cooperating this year. What has Mike done to improve that slider, and how much better has it looked in the short time that we have seen him back in the big leagues? Much better for me. I call it the good pitch, bad pitch program. It's 50-50, meaning I throw a nasty one and get anybody out, and then I throw a hanger. Nasty one, then a hanger. And when you're a pitcher, you can't pitch with that ratio. So the slider was in there. It just wasn't consistent. And so he's turned that into a, you know, eight or nine out of ten percentage where you kind of know what you're getting more. And you can't throw everything perfect at the big league level, but what do big leaguers do better usually than double, triple A guys, even A ball guys? They're just more consistent. And his slider is more consistent, it's more refined. That's the pitch that kind of makes him because, you know, it's so good and then it's fastball, you can't look for both. Here's what I really like about Mike. He's more confident since he's come back up. Mm -hmm. I've noticed a difference in his confidence. 
that is probably more important than anything we talk about is a guy taking the hill, believing that he's going to get guys out confident in whatever he throws, whether his stuff's on that day or not. And I've seen that change with Mike. Uh, something has definitely clicked for him. And one of the things that when you talk about Mike fulton you obviously look at the numbers he put up in 2018. You look at the front of the rotation stuff that he possesses. But not too many times can you have a conversation about Mike without it at some point turning to how is he going to use his emotions or are his emotions going to get the best of him on the mound? I know neither you nor I are in his head when he's out there, but having competed at that level, Paul, and having to you know stare down a major league hitter and figure out ways to get these guys out every fifth day, that's a challenge in and of itself. But emotionally speaking, what has Mike been doing and how much more impressed have you been with how he has been competing and maybe starting to make his emotions work for him again in his return from AAA. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just real quick, everybody's different. Ronald Acuna is different. He's a more emotional player than Nick Marcakis. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. That's his personality. That's the way he's designed. I like both. As a broadcaster, I want to bring out both. I want to teach the audience about that person. And so it's okay that Mike Fultonavich is emotional. John Smoltz was emotional. His emotions worked for him. Tom Glavin, less emotional. Now, he was emotional on the inside, but he's very guarded on the outside. You never knew he was upset. He was more like a Soroka. And so you want to make sure that when he gets emotional, that he pauses, takes the breath, and that he can hit his spot after getting frustrated. If you get worked up, emotional, angry, can't believe it when an umpire misses a call that he should have made, which happens all the time. Yes, it does. If you let that take you out of your game plan, then you have to know it. You have to use techniques to get back in it. You have to forget about it. you got to find focus away, look at something far away in the stadium, take a deep breath, relax, remind yourself, hey, This is an umpire. He can't be perfect. I'm going to give him another chance, turn that into a positive, get fired up, get back on the mound. And that's what the techniques I think that you have to learn to deal with your emotions and use them for your favor. I think that's something Mike has done a much better job of in his return and something that he really had seemed to turn the corner with in 2018 as well. And with that working for him, with the fastball velocity obviously still there where he needs it, with the slider improving for him, I think the big thing for Mike – there's nothing you can do to go back to April and start your season over, but going forward from this point forward or from the point that he came up from AAA Gwinnett, it almost presents the opportunity of a second season for Mike fulton inside the same season. He's got a tremendous opportunity here, as you were alluding to, to help out the Braves down the stretch, and regardless of whether or not he's in the rotation or not come October, Mike fulton could still be a factor for Atlanta because of the stuff that he possesses. No, that's it, and as a reliever... Unless you're a sidewinder, sinker baller, some sort of unusual niche coming out of that pen, you want to see an uptick out of a guy coming into the game. Right. You know, if, if the starter is, you know, sits 92, 93, and your reliever comes in and he sits 90 and he's not a sidearm specialist or a trick pitch guy, you know, that's a downtick from what you see as a hitter. So Mike has the ability to start and throw 95 to 97, you know, over 100 pitches. So for him to throw 30, it doesn't mean that he would throw 100. He could, but it means that 
it would be an uptick from whatever starter that we had that we ran out there. And that's the beauty of Mike, what kind of flexibility he gives you as both a starter who can be dominant, as we talked about, but also coming in out of the pen in whatever kind of situation, he would be, you know, he would have dominant stuff. And I think that's what you would see. And, you know, it's it's not unusual for a starter to come in, a reliever to come out of that uh, pen and throw, you know, three miles an hour harder than yep. he did as a starter. Um, you look at Chapman, who throws 100 to 105 miles an hour. They tried him as a starter, and he was throwing 92. So it's just like a sprint versus a long marathon. You can usually go at a quicker pace when you only got to throw 20, 30 pitches. And uh, the key for Mike coming out of the pen, again, would be to manage those emotions and, you know, not try to throw 102, just try to hit his spot, but let that natural excitement take over as you focus on hitting your spot out of the pen. And it could be very, very dangerous. Yeah, you give Fulty three or four more miles an hour, he gets into triple digits, something that he was known to hit as a young hotshot prospect with the Houston Astros before being traded over to Atlanta. And we've seen Mike up around 99 or 100 some uh, in seasons past as well. So that would certainly be a weapon for the Braves. Uh, Paul, as we wrap up here, I know we uh, alluded to this, talked a little bit about this throughout our discussion, but if you're looking at a playoff rotation for the Braves, you and I are going to have probably the same answer for the three guys who would be starting in the division series, but I'll let you give me the three that you would like to see, and I don't think we need to even factor in the opponent. I think we know who they'd be. Wow, you put me to a test here. I'm putting you on the spot right here. Man, okay, so for me, Dallas Keuchel opens for us. Okay. I'm following him with the righty, Mike Soroka, because I think Mike is going to be fantastic because of the way he's wired. He's never gotten out of sorts emotionally. I don't think that will happen in the playoffs either. Now, Grant, you really put me to the test here because I don't know if you're picking Freed and I don't know, you know, if you're liking Julio Tehran. Um, I'm going to say this. This may shock you. Go for it. If it's the Dodgers, gosh, I mean, see, even then, Freed struggles against the Dodgers. He had a bad first inning, but then he came back and pitched like a man. Good night. So I would have said, hey, go with Julio if it's the Dodgers, Freed, if somebody else. And I'm going to stick to that. I'm going to stick to that. I'm going to give you an example. If it was the Dodgers, I would probably start Julio and have Freed ready to go by inning two or three if Julio got in trouble. If it was somebody else, I think I would pick Max Freed because he's been so dominant lately, too. This is a great problem to have. It most certainly is. And you actually kind of read the playbook I was looking at as well. The good news for the Braves, obviously, is they don't have to meet the Dodgers in round one. So that's the good thing right now. Right. So the Dodgers will be set up to face whoever wins the wild card game, I should say. We'll get the Dodgers in the division series. The Braves would get the central winner. So that's how that would line up in that opening series. So I would have Max Fried as my number three. I would give Dallas Keuchel yeah. the ball in game one out of respect for the veteran who's been there most certainly. And also not to take pressure yeah. off of Mike Soroka, but just to kind of line things up, as you mentioned, lefty, righty, lefty, going that way. You could yeah. use Mike Fultonevich in the bullpen. I don't know if Julio yeah. would make the roster in the division series, but come championship series, he could end up being a factor. But then again, maybe you go with the experience of Tehran over one of the more inexperienced relievers. Maybe he ends up edging out a Josh Tomlin or someone of that type. I mean, there's a lot of different ways they could go. And as you mentioned, this is a great problem. And one that we don't necessarily have yeah. to solve in the last week of August. 
No, I agree. A lot will come down to this last month. Who looks sharp? Whose arm looks fresh? It's a great problem to have. I keep Julio on that roster. I find a way. Again, I may start him depending upon the matchup. Sure. Something I would like about starting Julio is if I bring in a Freed again, I got an uptick. Yep. He's got not quite faulty velocity, but he's like, what, one a mile or two or off? So, you know, he could be somebody that could be devastating coming in. He could also take the ball, you know, for five, six innings out of the pen, which would be huge if somebody had a rough first. Everything's magnified in the playoffs. Everything. So if you start a righty like a Julio or a lefty like, you know, Freed, and a team sets their lineup and a starter comes out of there in the first or second, you're going to bring in the opposite, and that team has burned a lineup that's ready for a righty or a lefty. You've got a guy that can go five who could be a number two, number three starter on many teams. Yep. So that would be an advantage to the Braves. You do that. Now you have an offense that's electric that's going to hunt you down the rest of that game come seventh inning. There is nobody better in the league than the Braves' offense. So there's going to be uh, a lot of things going for the Braves in the playoffs. It'll be a blast to watch if they get there and finish strong. Well, I totally agree with you, and I think the Braves, as they count down their magic number, which is hitting 30 as they wrap up a series with the Marlins, they're in a good place. You're in the driver's seat. You're the team being chased, and you've got a lead in the division that other teams are going to have to account for as they head into the final month in that stretch drive. So the Braves have done a lot of great stuff throughout the season and this starting rotation, which has had some highs and lows and had to you know, figure out kind of who and what it is, one through five, I think has done a great job of coming together at the right time. Paul, I really appreciate all of the insight and all of the knowledge that you've dropped on this, and it's been a lot of fun to talk about this Braves rotation with you. Uh, absolutely, Grant. Love the show. Love listening to you. Again, following you on Twitter. It's good talking baseball, and I love your insight as well. All right. Well, I look forward to doing it again soon and seeing you at the ballpark even sooner. You got it, buddy. Again, my thanks to Paul Bird. Make sure you're following along on Twitter. Paul is at PaulBird36 and, of course, at Fox Sports Braves for everything else the Fox Sports South crew is doing to cover the Atlanta Braves on a day-in, day-out basis. As for what's coming up, the Braves will hit the road again for three cities in the next week. It'll start with three games against the New York Mets this weekend. Then there's that makeup game, a single contest out in Colorado, and then two games against the Toronto Blue Jays before an off day for Atlanta, and then a nine-game homestand. It should be intriguing as the Braves will begin a critical portion of the month of September. They'll be seeing the White Sox first, but they'll also be seeing the Washington Nationals and Philadelphia Phillies a whole bunch of times in the first two weeks of September. And as I talked about a little bit earlier with Paul, that could be the stretch in which we find out exactly who's going to be winning the division and if we're going to have a race that goes down to the wire to determine the NL East division winner. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you'd be so kind, I appreciate the ratings and reviews. Those help out immensely. And make sure you're following along on social media. On Twitter, at FromTheDiamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley. And then on Instagram, at FromTheDiamond, no underscore. I'm at Grant McCauley there as well. Make sure you're following along for the giveaway that will be happening this weekend. It's that Braves alumni pack that includes all kinds of cool stuff. All you have to do to get yourself entered to that is follow me on Instagram at Grant McCauley. And to make sure you don't miss anything going on with the show, go to FromTheDiamond.com. You'll find every episode, the articles, and all the other good stuff coming at you about the Braves and the rest of Major League Baseball. So thanks again to Paul Bird for joining in to talk about the Braves rotation. And thanks again to you for tuning in to listen to this episode of From the Diamond. I'm Grant McCauley, and we will catch you next week.
So long, everyone.